quiet your mind. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But three brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Welcome to Dawn of Mantis, true crime mysteries and more. We got a true crime. We got, well, it's not really a mystery so much, but uh, this one's a great one. Part two of this thing, Joe. Yes, sir. Well, it is a mystery. Uh, the exact people who, who killed this man have never been named. Well, that's true. It's a mystery. But does it matter, though? Not anymore. Yeah. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah. It's, it reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the old fire line thing, the one... Rifle has the live round. They don't know Yeah, who did it. No one ever knows, I guess. Yeah. Out of the firing squad, you're right. Only one of the guns has the bullet, and no one ever really knows. I'm the type of person that'd be like, I know it was mine. <laughs> I can feel it. Yeah. I killed him. <laughs> anyway, Joe, so recap just a little bit where we were. The police were going to arrest this guy to take him down and make sure he got off the, the streets and didn't harm any others. Right? No. Oh, I started two weeks in a row. I started off bad. Yeah. No. No, but yeah, we'd left off with, with Ken McElroy, uh, his latest woman, well, we'll just call that, uh, Alice. Uh, she had tried to escape and uh, he had found out and, and chased her. He was shooting at her. And she was trying to escape, and they had some county cops hold him long enough for her to get across county lines and try to get away. Yeah, just far enough away where the bullet couldn't still At least her. that, yeah, because yeah. she wasn't going to press charges. She there was, we go. She was too afraid to. Yeah, that's another thing we, we hit a lot in the last episode. If you don't press charges, it's not illegal. Right, and that's very strange. Yes. But I think you're right. I think now the state can intervene and say, well, no, a, a crime was committed. And we will follow. That's charge. why we need Bruce right here on every episode. He, I know. We could, the legal, like I noticed the NFL now, they have a guy in the booth or at least somewhere where he could be like, hey, what about that last rule? And the guy will say, oh, that was crap. Oh, And really? he's like a former official or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what we need. We just need a lawyer on retainer, on podcast retainer. Yep. I'm sure it'd be cheap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Four nights a month. Yeah. Would hey, be. Bruce, if he listen, does he listen, Sam? I'm sure he listens to the episodes that he's on. <laughs> <laughs> of that's course. amazing. So anyway, I, yeah, I'd like to know if that's true. I could Google it, but I'd rather ask someone. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's our little recap. Do you guys want to jump right into it? Let's go. We tend to do that on these multi-parters, right? Let's- Sam's here too, by the way. I am here. I, and it's not a. Uh, it's not like what we did with Ivan the one time whenever Ivan wasn't here and we took sound bites or whatever. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Nice. Everywhere. Breaking the fourth wall a little bit. No, we told that. We no, told we, that. If we do a prank, it won't be that again. Yeah. We won't I'm, do the same one over again. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. We're all here. If I weren't here, then... You wouldn't hear us. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You guys wouldn't be either. <laughs> if I'm not here, then you've broken into my house. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Then, uh, yeah. Podcasting? He's I like, said I was going to be out of town. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> I was like, welcome to the Dawn of Madness yeah. podcast. Why are you being so quiet? We're not supposed to be in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we ran out studio time. We're trying to sneak one more in this month. <laughs> 
So, yes, Ken never saw any of his other kids. Now, Sharon, remember Sharon, whom he'd left at the farm with the three other children, she'd grown tired of waiting for him to come back because he'd left and and went to St. Joe and got an apartment with Alice. Just Mm -hmm. a little more recapping. So she'd collected their four children, and boom, Sharon had fled to Florida. She's gone. Okay. Yeah, good Good on her. her. Good on her. Dang. Ken was too preoccupied to really notice or care. You see, Ken McElroy was a busy guy. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry to cut you off real quick, but I guess if any of these women actually just had a little bit of nerve to get out, just leave the Tri-County area. Yeah. He's not going to go farther than that, Not really, like. not really. So, yeah, that's all. I, I definitely don't see him running down to Florida. Right, to exactly. To, that's amazing. You know, that's actually a positive thing in this whole story so far. Mm-hmm. Someone had the nerve enough to go. That's amazing. Good. It sounds like he hasn't really been further down south than, what, Topeka, basically? <laughs> so far. You know? <laughs> well, he has been out to Denver, but that's that's west. Right? Yeah, so, but he's not going right. back out there. No. He don't want to get cribbed again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, yeah, head, get out of there. When MTV Cribs came on, he <laughs> took off running. He didn't want no part of that. <laughs> I hate this show. <laughs> I can't remember why, but I hate it. <laughs> So yeah, Ken was super busy, you know, from apart from fathering countless children with underage girls, his other criminal activities were becoming more sophisticated. Okay. He had established a large ring of accomplices across many of the surrounding counties and even some out of state. This enabled him to move his stolen livestock around the area, always a step or two ahead of law enforcement. Mm. He was also still swiping grain from silos and had now included stealing all sorts of expensive chemicals and medical supplies from various farmers' co-ops throughout the state. Wow. Yes, Ken had built himself quite the rural criminal empire by that time, and he was at the very top. Quick aside, because his dad and his family, he felt, were probably swindled when he was a kid, he probably felt justified by ripping off the co-op and other farmers that were big farmers. He hated farmers. Yeah. Yeah. All farmers were the enemy. Wow. It's funny you brought that up, man. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And what's funny is later on when what happened happened, they would often frame Ken as a farmer. Like local Skidmore farmer killed or whatever. He hated farmers. Yeah. He would have yeah. hated that. Local person that stole from farmers <laughs> killed. Yeah. He was at the top of this criminal empire, but mind you, he didn't have to exactly be Al Capone to pull this off. Sure. It was the middle of nowhere, Missouri, 60 years ago. Back then... They didn't even lock up their feed back then. No. They didn't lock up anything back right, then. Right, yeah. Probably left their front door, like they had a screen door, and they left their front door open with just the screen door shut yeah. in the night, and you could have just walked right in anyways. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, even with the cattle and hogs and the livestock he was stealing, like, they didn't even have brands back then. They didn't mm. require them in Missouri. You know, so it was super difficult for farmers to identify these. Oh, you know, it was yeah. like, well... The cow was brown. <laughs> you know, had some white on it. Oh, that's it. We'll prove it. Well, I can't. Didn't yeah. have a sketch artist that would sketch out the cow? <laughs> sketch of the missing cow. <laughs> Just get those Oreo cows. You know the cows that are black with the white band around their belly? They're pretty distinctive. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Or one that has like a thing that looks like a state, you know? I've yes! seen that on... I've seen that on YouTube. And it's stuff. got a white patch that looks kind of like Missouri, yeah. <laughs> oddly enough. Yeah. <laughs> on its ass, I don't you know. have to get lucky on that one. Yeah. What resulted out of all this was every police agency within 200 miles knowing the name of Ken McElroy and what he was up to but not knowing 
the only way they could ever prove it would be to literally catch him in the act. Hmm. I don't think that made sense. They knew the only way they could ever prove it would be to literally catch him in the act. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They couldn't catch him with all the stuff. Like, I, that, I get that's catching him in the act, but it seems like if he's doing that act all the time, <laughs> and when he's not doing that, he's beating women. So you couldn't catch him in one of those acts? I don't know. They didn't, or they supposedly didn't. Okay. In my mind, there was more than one night where a sheriff's deputy or some cop was driving past a farm and saw Ken pulling at something, you know, some pig or something in the back of his truck, and they just thought, I ain't messing with this. You know what I mean? They probably went up to the pig and said, are you going to press charges? <laughs> and the pig said, no, Is it, the pig was intimidated, so they didn't do it. The pig was going to press charges, but then Ken showed up at its house. Yes. Freaked it out. Yeah. It's like, I'll kill all your piglets. <laughs> or he asked it to marry him. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. And it was illegal for the then pig to press charges, as we said in the last episode. <laughs> I'll sell you to the to the Duval brothers. That's why we don't have Bruce here. Well, then yeah. it would have ate well. <laughs> That's, That's true. That's true. Please Duval do. Brothers. Please sell it. Man, we love the taste of hunters. <laughs> Go back and listen Man. to our murder in the mountains. Talk about tying two series together. <laughs> Bronco the guy. <laughs> hey, if they... Now, I think if we're going to bring him up, if Bronco the guy would have been on this case of Ken McElroy... Maybe it wouldn't have went as long as it did. Maybe That's not. That's true. Maybe not. Bronco that was a determined Yeah, man. I think so. Yep. Not a lot of Broncos out there at this time, I guess. No. But we're, hey, I'm telling you, we're going to run into Richard oh, Dean that's true. Stratton I can't here wait. in a little while. I feel like it's going to be 17 episodes from now. Probably. I can't wait. <laughs> Remember that name. Well, it's okay. I don't know of a law enforcement officer that caught Ken in the act, but he was caught by some farmers. Okay. So... He was caught by a farmer who watched him load two horses one night and drive away. Okay, so, but guess what happened? Can you guess? He didn't press charges. That farmer went to Did the he sheriff. Did marry that farmer? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> if we Keep get going. married, <laughs> you can't report the horses. That farmer had gone to the sheriff and reported the crime only to drop the charges days later. Why? Turns out Ken had paid him a visit and smashed him across the face with the butt of his shotgun before promising the old man that if he did pursue the charges, Ken would come back, only this time he'd use... The other end. The other end. Mm. Damn. Yeah, very similar MO, the exact same MO. No witness, no crime. That's right. So yeah, Ken was using this tactic to avoid all kinds of charges, not only stealing horses, but also with many of the women he assaulted. Mm. Around the same time as the horse theft incident, a woman in a neighboring county filed assault charges against Ken, but within a couple of weeks, they were dropped by her request. And we have to assume that she sure. was intimidated or... Yes. So Ken had another close call not too long after this, and this one involved his repeated thefts from a farmer's co-op warehouse in Leona, Kansas. Y'all will like this one. The warehouse had already been robbed twice, and thousands of dollars worth of herbicides and chemicals had been stolen. Local police were sure that Ken's gang was involved and suspected he'd return a third time. So they hired someone to serve as night watchman and armed him with a 20-gauge shotgun. Okay. It happened to be a really, really old man. Oh. But that's... <laughs> the point. What the heck? <laughs> he did this. He did his job. Just listen. Sure enough, on his fifth night on the job, which happened to be Valentine's Day 1969, the old man crouched behind a shelf as he heard someone jimmy and open the front door. He then leapt into the aisle and yelled at the intruder, Ishka! 
sharp. <laughs> I can't, you can't. You can't. No, you can't say that he leapt into the aisle. He then drug his walker into the aisle and said, "Stop!" <laughs> but listen to this. As the shadowy figure turned to retreat, this old bastard shot him. Oh. Raised his shotgun and boom. They don't teach you, son of a bitch. <laughs> like he shot him. <laughs> so the thief got away, but the police suspicions that Ken was involved were answered just a couple weeks later. It was Marty McFly, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Peabody. <laughs> So the police learned that on the night of the attempted burglary, someone had visited a nearby hospital to have shotgun pellets removed from their ass. Mm. A quick chat with hospital staff revealed that man... Ken. ...was Ken Rex McElroy. Police gathered some more evidence and paid Ken a visit, and he denied everything. Still, prosecutors in Donovan County filed an indictment, and the judge issued a warrant for Ken's arrest. Guess what happened? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> The warrant was never executed, and the case files vanished. What? Yeah, I'm not kidding. It just disappeared. So he threatened someone. Uh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Either threatened or paid off, in my opinion. No, threatened. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have any money. Come on. No, he, well, he steals a bunch of shit, you know? I, he could have paid him off. No, well, that's true, but that doesn't seem like that's how he rolls, though. <laughs> it might have been a combination of both. Yeah. Like, I'll give you money, but he has a gun to their face. True. Gun yeah. or money. You want to be rich or dead? <laughs> you want to get rich or die trying? There you go. I think that's a movie. Huh? Yes. The legend of Ken McElroy was only growing, and so was his ego. With every charge he dodged, every law he broke and got away with, Ken became more and more convinced that he was untouchable. And unfortunately, he was right. Having no fear of any consequences, Ken ramped up his activities and went on a spree of crime and violence throughout 1969 and 1970 that resulted in a dozen felony charges. This is, a, if we're making a movie, it would be like a montage with music. <laughs> a film just like showing them in different scenes, like stealing and stealing feed and yeah. horses and grabbing pigs and throwing them in the truck. And yeah. Talking about a montage. <laughs> montage. Yeah. These people that could have convicted them are almost as much to blame, but... I get it. I mean, you're probably threatened with your life or you make a quick buck. I, I don't know. But keep going. Ken is creeping round, gonna make it big. Gonna steal your tools or maybe your pigs. It's a montage. Making all this money, stealing grain. This Ken McElroy is sure a pain. It's a montage. Because it comes out of the montage a lot better, whatever he wanted to be before the montage. So it, it's fitting. Because I think you're about to say he's like he's becoming like legendary at it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And everyone knows. Yeah. Can't catch him in the axe still. I don't know. They're too, too afraid. Scared. Too scared. Too scared. Well, police estimated that within just a three-month period, Ken and his cronies stole over $100,000 worth of livestock. Wow. The farmers in the area were livid and demanding a stop be put to the thievery. Police took to staking out various farms and feedlots in the area, trying to catch Ken red-handed, but they never could. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, okay, and again, I feel like a lot of these sheriff's deputies and stuff didn't want to fool with it, because every I think they were all shit-scared of him. That, or you don't think they... He was probably too frugal and liked his money too much to be paying him anything under the table, right? No, I don't, I don't know. You don't think there was any of that? Later on, I mean, like, he throws money at some lawyers later to get him right. out of this shit, like... So possibly paying yeah. paying off some yeah 
That I mean that in my opinion. Well, he has a gang, and you know they're not yeah. working. They're not doing anything but dishonest stuff. So if you have like five or six people, I mean, think about all the stuff you could get your hands on. Yeah, yeah. especially if they're it's all like divide and conquer. Yeah. And yep. it's like a pyramid scheme. He's at the top. Yeah, he got most of the profits. All the cops know Ken, but they might not know all these other guys. Like True. whoever's working with him or for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's a, probably a huge area. And it's, yeah. Yeah, this was across like the whole state and even yeah. out into Kansas. I mean, wow. it was a pretty big operation. Yeah. yeah. Because the the when, he, when Ken got shot in the ass, he was in Kansas. He was in a state over, you know? Yeah. Which, by the way, we do need to say that Skidmore is right close to Iowa. It's like 20 miles from the Iowa state line and 20 miles from the Nebraska state line. It's right up there in that corner. It's in that very tippity corner. And then a little further from Kansas, but yeah, it's very close to these other states. Yeah. So Andrew County Sheriff Reed Miller, we've mentioned him before, he made nailing Ken McElroy his top priority, and he enlisted Sergeant Jim Rhodes to help. Now, Ken had been spotted hanging around Rhodes' young daughter, So this guy had a deep, deep hatred of Ken. The two men set about figuring out how to tie Ken to any of his crimes, and their break came one day when they spotted Alice and another of Ken's women named Marsha, but nicknamed Marty, driving a car full of stolen tools and furniture through the town of Savannah. Miller and Rhodes pulled the girls over, and after a great deal of pressure, the girls decided to give up everything they had on Ken McElroy. For the next several days, Alice and Marty rode through the countryside with the cops and pointed out all the places they'd stolen livestock from and explained how they helped Ken get away with it. In February of 1972, based on those statements, more charges were filed, four felony charges against Ken for the thefts occurring from uh, September 1970 to September of 1971. Four separate felony charges meant four warrants. And over the next several months, Ken was arrested and bonded out multiple times. So he did always have bond money, too. The depositions weren't taken until a year after the charges were filed. And by that time, both Alice and Marty completely recanted their testimony. Oh, my gosh. As for the laundry list of other felonies, through his time-tested ability to delay cases and intimidate witnesses, Ken avoided prosecution on everything. Also... Knowing the extent of his criminal enterprise and the money it was bringing in, like we just talked about earlier, we'd be foolish to say or to think that uh, he had not padded a few DAs or judges with pockets with a little bit of cash. So I I do believe that he had bribed several people. The next on Ken's very long list of crimes that he got away with occurred in April of 72. Alice had grown tired of Ken's beatings long ago. We already established that. But she had stayed with him. But on April 10th, she had finally had enough. While Ken was away, she packed a bag, grabbed her son, and she fled the house. Now, Ken had always told her that if she left him, he'd come for their son and kill anyone who stood in his way. With this in mind, she went straight to her parents' house and got ready. Knowing Ken would be coming, her stepfather, Otha, stood guard with a rifle while Alice hastily loaded a thirty-two caliber pistol in the kitchen. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like, you've left your man, and part of that process is, like, pretty much acting like you're about to defend the Alamo or something. Yeah. Yeah. It is crazy. Well, in her nervous state, I can just picture her there, like, her hands are shaking. She's freaking terrified of this guy. She's trying to load this gun. She's you know, slaps the barrel in, cocks it, 
she accidentally shoots herself in the hip mm. when she does this. Wow. So, obviously, not long after that, she's rushed to a nearby hospital. Right after the ambulance leaves with her, Ken shows up in the front yard with a rifle announcing that he was there to take his kid home. Now, to Otha's credit, that's Alice's father, he yelled out, the hell you are! And he went and grabbed his shotgun. He's ready. Mm -hmm. Like he's ready. Seconds later, a bullet shattered their living room window and tore into Otha's left leg before Ken jumped in his truck and sped away. Okay. So Ken so he kind of won that round, sort of, except he got shot. Yeah. Yeah. He stood his ground. Yeah, it's more than a lot of people have done at this point. Once again, <laughs> you're going to have deja vu many times. Uh, I'm not even going to ask if he got in trouble for this. <laughs> he didn't get in trouble for that. No. It's only episode two, but go on, continue with your whatever you're about to say. Assault charges were filed. Okay. And once again... Ken's attorneys went to work delaying the case. That was the recipe. Hmm. His attorney or attorneys would delay the case for months or however long, yeah. and then during that time, he would go to work f***ing with them. Listen, boy, we're going to delay this case, and while we do that, go do your magic and intimidate. Yeah. Harass. Make a good team. Stalk. Intimidate. Three, threaten. two, one. Go be bad people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, us lawyers can keep up with our side. You just have to do yours. Yep. And just like you said, the very next sentence, meanwhile, while they delayed, Ken did what he always did to avoid prosecution. He set to work intimidating the witness into not testifying. But Otha, though, was pissed off, stubborn, and not susceptible to intimidation. And here is where we see another one of Ken's traits on full display. When he felt like he'd been wronged, he became absolutely obsessed with whoever it was he'd convinced himself had wronged him. That guy wronged him by getting shot in the leg. <laughs> How yeah. dare him? Yes. How dare you? <laughs> Which, by the way, was nearly everyone. Ken had a very long list of people who had wronged him in his mind. Otha had wronged him by standing in the way, you know, when he had went to get his abused sure. wife back and his child. How dare you? <laughs> it took almost nothing to get onto Ken's shit list, and once you were there, it was permanent. When a woman filed assault charges against him, he was the victim, not her. How dare you do that? It was her fault. He never would have had to beat her if she'd have stayed in line. Right? When a farmer filed charges for a cattle theft, it was his fault. Those rich-ass farmers wouldn't miss a couple cows, and how dare they get in the way of him making a few bucks, those sons of bitches. It's their fault. And now in the current situation, Ken was the victim again. His woman had stepped out of line and taken their child. All he did was try to get the kid back, and this son-of-a-bitch dad pulls a gun on him. I'm the victim, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Have as, it your way. As Ken threw back beers and puffed cigarettes at every bar stool in six counties, all anyone heard about was how this son of a bitch Otha was going to get it. I'm going to split his melon, right? Ken told everybody, I'm going to get this old bastard. He would stare off into space and ramble on endlessly, naming the various ways he was going to beat him or torture him or kill him. Okay. Well, Ken's attorneys delayed the charges for nearly a year. And within that year, Ken made Otha's life a living hell. He'd call him almost every night and name off the ways that he was going to murder him and his whole family. He'd threaten to kill Otha's wife on her way to work or shoot their child on the school playground. Otha began to carry a gun everywhere he went and escort his wife into town. Then Ken began to show up at their house, waving his guns and yelling at Otha to come out and get his comeuppance. Come out here, old man, I'm going to whoop your ass! Calling you out! 
Then one night in January of 73, things came to a head. Otha was sitting at a bar called Garland's Tavern in St. Joe when Ken burst through the door and held a corn knife to his throat. He said, I'm going to cut your guts out unless you swear not to testify. Otha growled back, I'm testifying against you, Ken. With this, Ken stormed back out of the bar to everyone's great relief. But. (laughs) Yeah, it ain't over there. That calm was short-lived because a few minutes later, Ken burst back through the door, this time holding a shotgun and seething with rage. He locked the bar doors behind him and told everybody, quote, and this is from, all this is from witnesses that were there. All this was reported, even though it was never pursued. Nobody's leaving. Nobody's even going to the goddamn bathroom. The bar went dead silent as Ken marched up to Otha and shoved the shotgun's barrel under his chin. He said, I'm going to kill you unless you swear not to testify. I'll start at your feet and shoot all the way up until there's nothing left. Then Ken stepped back and Otha, from what he later said, prepared to die. He's like, I'm done. This is it. I'm a dead man. But instead, Ken brought the barrel over his head and bashed it down onto Otha's face, yelling, I'll blow your goddamn head off if you testify. Following this, he wasn't done. He aimed the gun down and blasted a football-sized hole in the floor a few inches in front of Otha's feet. He then held the gun on Otha as he backed away and finally out of the bar. The police were called, and this time Ken was actually arrested, so they f***ing at least did that. Wow. Although he immediately bonded out for $1,500. Wow. (laughs) Ken was originally charged with attempting to deter a witness and threatening to kill a witness. Those are felony charges. Hmm. However, within a few weeks, the charges were mysteriously reduced to attempting to bribe a witness not to testify, which is just a misdemeanor. Uh, Was there money involved in that exchange? (laughs) The money was his life, though. I can see that. (laughs) Money, life, gun, come on. Just splitting hairs there. Dudes, it's just so bananas. So wait, what was he convicted of in that? Oh, what was he convicted of out of that? No, what did he get arrested for? Uh, well, the original felony charges were attempting to kill a witness uh-huh. and deter a witness, uh-huh. and then they were dropped to a misdemeanor charge of attempting to bribe a witness. Assault wasn't even in that. No. Yeah, man. Because he assaulted the guy also. Yes. Yeah, he, bashed him over. he brought a shotgun in and hit the guy with it. Yeah. There must be something new now because you can do a lot of charges now because sometimes I look on that website where people are in jail and you just start scrolling through. I was like, this is like my Christmas list when I was 10 because you just keep scrolling through and charges keep flying down. Yeah. But here is like, we can only charge with two things. We better pick two good ones. Yeah. Because yeah. like Sam was saying, there's 20 things there probably. Oh, yeah. Not to mention discharging a firearm and a destruction of property. (laughs) There's so many charges. So many charges. I'd almost say however many counts of kidnapping if he's not letting anybody leave. That's true. That there you go. (laughs) I mean, you could we could examine that. I bet we could come up with 30. I bet you could. And even yeah. But bribing is what it boils down to. Yeah. Attempting to bribe a witness. (laughs) People in the people in the bar is like, I didn't. There's no money. He never offered him anything positive. <laughs> it was all negative. <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen. <laughs> Drop these charges. I gave you $500. Right. That's a bribe, right? Yes. 
didn't sound like that happened. No. No. Those words were not said. No. Drop these charges or, you know, I'll kill you. I'll blow your head off. I'll cut your throat. There's some a little more. I could see some lawyer be like, well, your honor, time is money. And he gave him the rest of his life. So that's <laughs> money. Dang. It's bananas. Well, in February of 1973, Ken hired the attorney who had ultimately... Now, I'll tell you what, you're right. At the end of this, yeah, we're, we're, we're still upset with Ken, but so many people actively allowed this to happen. Yes. Yeah. And this guy right here... It's like what you said for the first five minutes of this thing, he was a bad... His, his parents told, said he was a bad kid. So at some point, you're just like, okay, you are bad. I'm not surprised by anything you're doing anymore. So, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. But then why did all these people enable right. all this other bad behavior? Yep. In my opinion, the number one person that he met and hired in 1973, he met this particular attorney, and this is the specific guy who helped him for the rest of his life till 1981. Mm. Probably the guy in the video yes. saying all the stuff. This yeah. son of a bitch. I do not. Okay. This The attorney's defense was always like, hey, I'm hired to get him off. Get him off. Just do him a job. I've heard another version of a defense attorney saying something that makes way more sense. It's like, I'm making sure that their constitutional rights aren't, even though they're guilty of this crime, I'm going to make sure that it's done right. You right. Know? Not that kind of. No. This is way beyond the Constitution. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, dude. Obviously. Come on. We're just... <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah. Let's... In February of 73, Ken hired the attorney who would ultimately enable him to assault, molest, threaten, stalk, and even shoot whoever the hell he wanted with no consequences whatsoever. He was a high-powered attorney out of Kansas City named Gene McFadden. We're going to hear that name a thousand times, so remember it. And he ensured that Ken could break the law with absolute impunity for the next eight years. Basically, to, to put it simply, that's the way I'm putting it. If you disagree after this, you let me know. There was a pretrial for the attempted witness bribery charges. Otha did testify against Ken in this pretrial, although by that time, all the other witnesses at the bar had been scared off. But Otha was still like, to hell with it, dude. I'm still testifying. Ken claimed that he had innocently brought the gun into the bar that night just to show someone who was interesting in purchasing it. That was it. Ivan's. <laughs> you guys are so pissed off. Oh, I bet the hole in the floor. What didn't you say? Blow, blew a hole in the floor. I'll get. He to, probably dropped a money bag on it. I'll get to that. And it just broke through the floorboards. No, according to Ken, through a terrible stroke of bad luck, it accidentally misfired while he was showing it. Oh my gosh! Oh, okay. It was no fault of his own, guys. So thank you. Um. <laughs> uh, now listen, though. This time, Ken was actually found guilty and sentenced to six months in jail. Oh, man. Yeah, six months. Oh, wait, though. Wait. However, McFadden filed a notice appeal to the circuit court resulting in a new trial. Then, the very next day, mysteriously and without explanation, the files were sealed. Oh. Under Missouri law, files are sealed only when the defendant is acquitted for the charges dropped by the prosecuting attorney. Neither of these had happened in Ken's case. Seeing how Ken had managed to avoid even the much lesser bribery charge, Otha still hoped there would be some form of punishment for the original assault charges. Instead, he never heard another word of the case, and Ken did not spend one second in jail. Hmm. Wow. Thank you very much. Yeah. So let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sunk in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Now, we've clearly established Ken's appetite for women, and there never seemed to be a shortage of girls he could manipulate either by impressing or coercing them uh, into his life. By the early 70s, he had countless girlfriends, short-lived flings, one-night stands, and a couple of wives. But the one constant girl who would remain with him for the remainder of his life was Trina McLeod. Okay. Trina was from a dirt-poor family who lived just down the road from the McElroys. And she seemed to have popped up on Ken's radar around 1969 when she was 13 years old. Yeah, I was going to guess that. Ken added her to his list of girls to groom, and over the next couple of years, dug himself further and further into her circle. Trina had nothing, and her family had nothing. So when Ken came around driving his latest fancy car and sporting pressed slacks, button-up shirts, and slicked-back hair, the young girl was captivated. Before long, when her bus arrived to deliver the kids to school that day, Ken was waiting in the parking lot. He'd take Trina away for the day and bring her back in time to ride the bus home. Whatever revelry she had for Ken quickly disappeared, and she became a terrified and unwilling participant, though. Classmates remember Trina showing back up with Ken, looking tired and disheveled, then crying the entire bus ride home. In the beginning of her freshman year, she became pregnant and dropped out of school. After this, she moved out to the McElroy farm alongside Alice to become Ken's latest trophy, in his collection of girls. Well, that's not surprising, but sounds like it's going to be relevant for the rest of this thing. So, it, yeah. yeah. Trina yeah. was there to the bitter end and long after even. Hmm. So, yeah, we're, we're going to talk as much about Trina as Ken. Yeah, she's a victim for sure. Yes. And a lot of the townsfolk, even throughout everything we're about to cover, still had sympathy for her because she was very young. Sure. And they were like, well, she's just under Ken's spell. Uh, we're going to get into later... Even after Ken's death, she advocated for him. And wow. Oh, yeah. That's when the town turned, and, I mean, it was pretty brutal after that, uh, you know. Wow. yeah. But even after his death, very, very strange, you know, in interviews. She's literally telling C- CBS and ABC, Ken never harmed a soul. He never hurt anyone. The, the townspeople just didn't like him, and they just killed him. I mean, that was her story. And the townspeople were like, what? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm. So they were just, yeah, no sympathy for her after that for them. But I'm jumping ahead, but. Sure. But like so many of Ken's women, Trina soon grew tired of the beatings and sexual depravity. Trina had Ken's baby in late May of 73, and just two weeks later, she tried to make a run for it. So to her credit, for the first little bit, she did try to escape. Sure. One day, she convinced Alice to help her flee to her uncle's house. The pair convinced Ken that they were driving up to see Trina's baby, who was still at the hospital. It hadn't, you know, the baby hadn't been discharged yet. Then they grabbed Alice's two children and they left. They went straight to the home of Trina's uncle Russ and her aunt Brenda and begged them to allow them to hide there until they figured out their next move. Now, Russ happened to be Skidmore's city marshal and a special deputy sheriff. I don't know what a special deputy sheriff is. Special? Yeah, I don't don't know. know. Just sort of a deputy sheriff, but I don't know what that is. But he knew all about Ken, and he knew by helping them, he knew what he was getting into. Okay. But he wasn't, he wasn't no push. It right? might be an auxiliary or something. That's Maybe my so. guess. Yeah. Knowing they were risking the full fury of Ken McElroy, Russ and Brenda cautiously agreed only on the condition that the girls not venture out of the house for any reason. But just a few minutes later, 
Trina called her dad, Ronnie, and asked if he'd come pick her up along with Alice and take them to see the baby at the hospital. This was exactly what Russ did not want to happen. Mm-hmm. He was like, stay here, stay in the back room, hide the hell out until we can figure out. And then immediately after, Trina's like, no, let's... I get it that she wanted to get up there and see sure. the baby. Oh, yeah. So what do you do? I don't know. A special deputy is a part-time employee of the sheriff's office who works at the sole discretion of the sheriff. Oh, okay. Yeah. So her father, Ronnie, whom they just called to ask him to take him to the hospital, he agrees. He comes over to Russ's house. He picks the, the girls up. However, by this time, Ken had caught wind that his women were attempting to flee. And he was out cruising the streets of Maryville in his Buick looking for them. As fate would have it, as Ronnie pulled out onto the road with the girls, Ken spotted them. He roared the big Buick up beside Ronnie's truck and held a shotgun out the window, demanding he pull over. Then, at gunpoint, he forced Ronnie into his car and ordered the girls to drive the truck back to Russ and Brenda's house while he followed. The girls arrived first and quickly ducked inside while Ronnie, totally convinced that he was about to die, rode beside Ken in Ken's Buick. As the car came to a screeching halt in the driveway, Ken grabbed his shotgun and flew out the door. Now standing on the sidewalk, he began to scream at the house, telling the girls to get their asses outside or else he'd come in after them and blow their heads off. Eventually, Alice and Trina emerged, along with the kids, and Ken stuffed everyone into their two vehicles before heading back to the farm. The girls knew they were about to suffer dearly for having betrayed Ken, and they were right. Hmm. Let's cover what happened when they got back to the farm. Once there, Ken grew even angrier. The more he stewed on how his women had tried to leave him, the more crazy and violent he became. He lined the girls up and held a shotgun on them, demanding to know whose idea it was to run away. He was also paranoid that Russ may call the law and promise the girls that if he saw lights coming down that driveway, he'd kill them both. To prove his point, he fired the gun inches from their heads. He then raised the shotgun over his head and brought the barrel down on Alice full force, shattering her nose and breaking both cheekbones. Alice managed to crawl to a vehicle and drive herself to Fairfax Hospital for treatment. The resulting damage left her with severe headaches for the rest of her life. But she drove back and returned to Ken the next morning. Hmm. It's amazing what manipulation sure. and oh, yeah. fear can cause. Yeah. It's like other cases that we've read about where someone had been kidnapped and after however long of a period of time, their kidnapper would even let them out. Like some would even let them out to get jobs and and work or go to school, but they came back. It's just insane. Well, I mean, people live in a cult and then they go to town and get things and their kids, meanwhile, their kids are being abused back at the cult. Mm -hmm. It's just incredible what, what can be accomplished. When you have a dirty system and shit lawyers. Yeah. And they're the real... At this point, he's not even the perpetrator anymore. They are. Yeah. I'm going to just shift it to them. Same thing with organized crime that so many people in a city know exactly, including the police. You know, some of them are not turning on the guy because of money, but some people aren't turning on him strictly because of fear. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the same thing. Yeah, very similar to that. Well, it gets worse, too. I'm not done. Can't I'm wait. So, <laughs> Can't so wait. Alice had already got hers, right? I sure. mean, he basically crushed her face. Yeah. Later that morning, like I said, she returned to him. But not long after she got back, Ken tells her, hey, you need to leave to go run an errand. Because it was Trina's turn. Trina was holding a baby 
Ken ordered her to put it down and come into the living room. So there, just 16 days after having delivered her kid, Trina was raped by Ken at gunpoint. But Ken still wasn't done. There were other people who'd betrayed him, and they had to pay as well. So later that same day, Alice and Trina got in his truck and went to Lawson's gas station in Graham, where he filled a can with gasoline. From there, they drove to Trina's parents' house, and the girls watched as Ken doused it in gas and burnt it to the ground. Hmm. A couple days later, Trina went to her doctor for treatment, and after her treatment, she actually told the doctor the story. She actually told him what happened. And hearing this and seeing what state she was in, the doctor put her on tranquilizers and placed her in a mental hospital to keep her safe from Ken. There you go. It was basically to keep her... Yeah, it was a secure place, not... Right. Yeah. I didn't... Yeah, I probably didn't make that sound accurate. Well, no, no. I just needed to to listen to the end. (laughs) It's like, I just needed to let you finish. To keep her safe. Yeah. 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 Let you finish. No, you're crazy. You're going to the nut house now. Yeah. Right. Now, meanwhile, her new baby, a boy named Jeffy, was placed in foster care. During the three weeks Trina remained at the mental hospital, three criminal charges were filed against Ken. Rape, arson, and flourishing a deadly weapon. Everyone knew he'd be coming for Trina, so she was placed in the care of a foster family on an Air Force base in Knob Noster, Missouri. That's about two and a half hours from Skidmore. Okay. At this point in time, Trina really was done with Ken and wanted nothing more than to stay away from him. She stayed on the base in Knob Noster a short while, but was transferred to another family in Maryville right around the time she got her baby back. This new family was also nice, and she spoke with a woman, a woman named Ginger, at length about her troubles with Ken. She also assured her new foster family that Ken would come for her, and he would find her. It was only a matter of time. She knew it. Ginger, nor her husband George, had ever heard of Ken before meeting Trina, so it was kind of hard for them to know if this megalithic monster was really that horrific or a boogeyman that Trina had just kind of blown up in her head. Well, in just three weeks, they got their answer. Ginger arrived home from work one afternoon and noticed a large white Oldsmobile parked on the street in front of the house. Behind the wheel was a barrel-chested man with black, slicked-back hair and heavy eyebrows. He sat stone still, never removing his gaze from the house, even when Ginger came into view. Inside, she followed muffled sounds of crying and found Trina and Jeffy hiding in the basement. Trina was hysterical. She said she'd happened to look out the window and saw Ken watching her four hours earlier, and he had not moved since. She kept screaming that he was going to break through the door at any moment and kill her and the baby. The police were called, and within minutes, they were parked behind the olds, talking with Ken. He soon left, and one of the officers knocked on the door to let Ginger know it was all clear, and also that as long as Ken didn't physically trespass on their property, they couldn't do anything other than talk to him. So Ken could come right back, literally. He could he could have came back then, but as long as he didn't step up on their grass, they couldn't do a shitting thing. I mean, it, 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 that makes sense. Like, that's legally sound. It is, unfortunately. So yeah, the thing is, the police knew about the trespassing thing. Yes. Ginger now knew, but most importantly, Ken knew. Like, yeah. he did know exactly the line. Mm-hmm. Of course, he crossed it all the goddamn time without punishment, but he knew where it was. Yeah. Just a couple days later, the phone calls started. It was the same routine Ken always pulled. He'd threaten Ginger and George, say he was going to kill him. 
He'd say he was going to catch their two daughters at school and kill them too. He'd always refer to Trina as his little bride, saying that he was getting ready to come collect his little bride and anyone getting in his way would be killed. Ken used fear, bullying, and intimidation to get what he wanted or to get people to do what he wanted, and Ginger and George had been thoroughly warned of this by Trina. This is before they had terroristic threatening, I'm sure. I'm sure that wasn't even a charge on the book. I don't think it was at that time. No. I don't think it was it's at like that time. It's like freedom of speech. <laughs> yeah. Me threatening to kill them in hundreds of different ways is my Second Amendment yes. right. Yes. No, wait. First Amendment right. Sorry. Yeah. And my gun right, too. Yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, One and two. <laughs> One and two. I could shoot a hole in the floor if I wanted to. Yeah. Be an accident, though, of course. Yeah, just accidental discharge. You know how it is. In the bedroom. I don't know. I can't say <laughs> accidental discharge without thinking about that. I'm just sorry. I just can't. No, no, no. I got you, man. <laughs> That's what I tell my wife. I was just showing it off, and it went off accidentally. I'm sorry. <laughs> she filed charges? No, she did Okay. Let's yeah, she... <laughs> Uh, so that's that's week two already yeah that's week two man you're gonna have to wait another week for part three and uh more frustrations to come i can't wait oh man we don't get any resolution for quite a while well i'm definitely interested you're doing a heck of a job and any anger i have isn't towards you and your crap case that you picked (laughs) uh but you know hey i gotta wait till the end so 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 does everyone else i guess yeah. But good good job so far, Joe. Well, thank you so much. You found a good one. Yeah, a good one. It's got so many more to go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, I apologize for, I don't know, we need to suggest blood pressure medicine or something. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure everyone's all ramped up and like, whoa, you know. So Yeah. Go take a few deep breaths, take a walk, do some exercise, get that heart rate down. Yes. We, yeah, I'm going to have to. In time for part three. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Let me tell you about some fellas I know Named Ivan, Sam, and Joe They got themselves a little podcast, you know They talk about everything under the sun That they find interesting, spooky, or fun They sure ain't trying to impress no one Remedy to too much time on your answers Take a little to the dawn of Manti We talk about killers, monsters and cults French mates from hell, disappeared folks Occasionally throw in a few dad jokes They try to make every story extra nice By adding their own ginger spice not one time or two, but thrice. Right, 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 right. The remedy to too much time on you answers. Take a little listen to the dawn of Manti. Now I'm sure these fellas will be around for quite a spell. Cause there sure ain't no shortage of stories to tell. Cause this old world's as weird as hell. Even if nobody listened, you know they'd maintain a fine disposition. Cause shooting the breeze is kind of their mission. Remedy to too much time on your hands is take a little.
listen to the dawn of magic. 